Greetings from my home to, I'm sure, your home for another episode of the Hammer and Umpire Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Weber, and like many people around the country and the world, I guess, I've been uh, doing the self-quarantine stay-at-home order that our governor has given us and trying to stay out of public as much as possible to uh, you know, help stop the spread of the uh, coronavirus, right? Taking another hit this week with uh, high school baseball. They, they canceled the entire high school baseball and spring sports season in the state of Michigan. Um, and cancel the rest of the winter sports as well. Kind of expected that to be coming. I know there's been several states that have done that as well. Some of you have sent me some messages about that. I'm sure there'll probably be more to come, unfortunately. Um, it's a bummer. It's a bummer as far as our pocketbooks and just um, to do the thing that we like to do, to get out on the field and, and um, officiate baseball games, right? Hopefully sometime soon this thing will work its way through. I signed for um, this big travel league, and we got like 107 teams in it from like 8U to 15, 16U. And uh, they normally start that league in the end of April, and they've already pushed that back, and it's supposed to start now the first week of May. And I'm hoping it does. I mean, I hope that these things can uh, work themselves out. I, I, I don't know. I think there might be a 50-50 chance, maybe less than that, that that will start then. They're, they're committed to playing, and and starting the league later and maybe working it into the later part of the summer or into the fall. Uh, but uh, that is, that's going to give some guys around here, in West Michigan at least, some opportunities to get on the field because, you know, a lot of people haven't been on the field yet. I know I haven't. Well, I was for a few innings in a scrimmage, but that's about it, right? So we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, it's it's depressing. Um, but uh, we can... Uh, we can look forward to some things. I, I know Major League Baseball is talking about what they're going to try to do. Um, I think they're considering like a 100-game season, maybe starting July 1st. That would be interesting to see how that all works out. It's going to be strange. I mean, I just hope they're able to play baseball at this point. Also, um, we're looking at um, what uh, this the, the government uh, bills that they've passed for the coronavirus will do to help independent contractors and umpires. And I'm certainly no expert on it, but it appears that if you are a full-time official, you know, umpiring is your number one thing, and maybe other jobs that you do as far as officiating, maybe you do basketball, football, whatever, that's kind of your full-time gig, then you probably are eligible per your state. You'd have to look into your state regulations and how they're handling things to maybe get some kind of unemployment or some help. But if you're like me and lots of other guys that we have regular full-time jobs and we do this on the side and, you know, some people make a, a lot of money doing it on the side, um, we seem to be a bit out of luck. I mean, you know, it's got to be kind of your number one thing, which I understand. I mean, I, I have a full-time job. I can still pay all my bills. Yeah, I don't have all the, the extra money I, I would have earned from umpiring, but um, I'm not going to, you know, go bankrupt or something because of that. Um, yeah, I got to make some other sacrifices, but that's just the way it goes. So I don't know how much this stimulus thing and all this other stuff they're talking about is really going to help. I, I hope I'm wrong. Please let me know if I am. Send me a, a voicemail or uh, email or um, go onto the Facebook page and, and let me know. Um, I'd love 
to be able to get some money myself. I'm sure all of you guys would, but um, unfortunately, it's I don't think it's going to work out that way. I would have been kind of surprised if it was. I think a lot of guys were kind of expecting that, and um, that seemed a little bit unrealistic. Um, the big thing is it's tough for independent contractors because we don't have like a set employer like this school employs us and now I don't have a job and I'm not making money and, you know, you can get some help and some relief. You know, we work for lots of different schools independently and they're not like our like hired employer. Just, you know, they are for that one day when we're working games for them. But uh, that's about it. So that's kind of what I expected, unfortunately. Nonetheless, I've got a few things for you on this episode that I hope you will find interesting. I'm going to talk for a couple of minutes about using indicators and talk about passing runners um, and what you do in those kind of situations. I will have the conclusion to my MHSAA postseason exam, the last five questions of that. And I, as I always do, I have an umpire spotlight this time on Eric Cooper, the late major league umpire that uh, died this past October. So sit back and uh, make sure that uh, your home speakers are working just fine because I I think a lot of you might be uh, listening to me there for another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. Referee Magazine had an article in a recent issue about using indicators, uh, whether or not umpires use indicators when they're working the plate and whether or not umpires use indicators when they are working the bases. Um, They went through and talked about maybe the first professional umpire that didn't use an indicator was back in the 70s when Steve Palermo uh, didn't, didn't use one while working a major league game. And, you know, the thing is, when you work in a big league game and and a lot of other professional games, but definitely major league games, you have really good scoreboard workers and official scorers and people that are paying attention. And so 99.9% of the time, the scoreboard is correct, and you could probably get away with that. But if you've worked for any length of time as an umpire and the levels most of us work, you know that frequently scoreboards are not correct. Now, if you're a big-time college umpire working big-time D1 games, um, or you're a professional umpire, maybe you don't encounter that too much and you can get away with that. But if you're like me and you work mid to lower level college games and high school games and on down from there, um, I don't trust scoreboards. I mean, sometimes it's some dad up there working it that's not paying attention or some kid, you know, and you know, they're checking their cell phone or whatever the heck's going on. And more often than not, there's times I feel like I want to just go up and go, hey, how about you just put the score up there in the inning and just forget about the count because, you know, half the time it's not even right. All right. So I've worked with some guys um, that were working high school games that did not use an indicator. I've never done that. I always use an indicator when I'm working the plate. Um, I try to be as subtle about it as possible, there, you know, and if you're a newer person to umpiring, you, you, you can't be looking right at your indicator. You've got to be able to click through the, um, the numbers and everything for the, for the outs and balls and strikes and all that kind of stuff. 
um, without having to look at it. So it's just like in your hand and you're clicking through it. And if you have to look at it, you can do that. And if you do look at it, you got to look at it in some kind of subtle way where you get a little glance on it to make sure you, you have it right or if you happen to forget the count momentarily or something like that. So um, the guys that I worked with that did it without an indicator, things went fine. I wouldn't do that. I think it's more of like trying to big time people when you do that, especially at the lower levels. Like, well, I don't need an indicator, that kind of stuff. But uh, I don't see why. What's the advantage of that other than you're just trying to show that you can do it? You know, um, there seems to um, be a lot more issues that might happen by doing that than, than having an indicator. Now, I don't like it when guys have an indicator when they're working the bases with me. I don't think it's a very good look at all. And um, also, there's just no guarantee that they're going to have the right count, you know. So I don't see what the what the use of that is. So um, I prefer that they just work their base and their and or the you know whatever bases they're working on the field, and worry about that, and let me worry about the count because the count ultimately comes down to me. It's my count. I'm going to make the uh, decision if something gets screwed up, what it is, and um, take the fall, I guess, too, if that's the case. Um, have I ever, um, got the count messed up sometimes? Yeah. Every once in a while, you know, if you work a hundred, 150 games in a year, there's going to be a handful of occasions where for some reason or another, um, you're not sure of the count. You don't remember if you switched your indicator, you know, for a ball or strike or something like that. Um, some, it's usually after some kind of strange play or something that takes you out of your rhythm, um, for what's happening. And, you know, like, I don't know, you uh, frequently it's like when you get hit in the face uh, by a foul ball or some other part of your body, you get hit. And then you don't remember if you um, switched your indicator or not. And I do call it an indicator <laughs> for you new guys out there. It's not a clicker. OK, it's an indicator. That's what it is. Right. Don't call it that. Um, these are just things I've been taught to that, you know, you got to speak the right lingo. Right. Um but I'm not afraid to make sure that because I've got two representatives of the team up there. I'm not afraid to ask them. I've got the catcher and I've got the hitter. And uh, especially after something weird happens, you know, if I get drilled in the face by a foul ball and I'm like, let's see here. I don't know if I switched my indicator. Got, guys, we got two, two, you know, and I'll ask them. And, um, you know, usually I'm pretty sure. And, and 95 percent of the time I have it right. And they're, yeah, yeah, that's what we got. But, you know, every once in a while, it's like, no, 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 it's um, it's 3-2 now or something. Or, no, it's it's 1-2, and two, you know, or something like that. Now, is it 1-2? Yeah, yeah, that's what, okay, that's that's what we got. One one ball, two strike. I make everybody know, and then we're good, and we just go on. I've done that on a handful of occasions over the years, and I've never had a problem with that. Um, so I, I don't want to go ask my partner in the middle of the field, hey, what count did you have? Even if you had it, well, I think I had this because half the time they're not even sure. And then you look silly walking out there and talking to them. And it's like they don't know if you're talking about the counter and this or that. If they do know you're talking about the count, you still look kind of stupid doing that. I'd rather just take care of it there. I don't need everybody in the world to know, hey, he doesn't know what the count is, if I can take care of it. Now, I know they could go back to their dugouts and say, man, I probably didn't know what the count was, this and that. They might do that. They're probably not going to. They just, you know, you're human, right? So sometimes things get messed up and you just try to resolve the issue the best you can. Be fair about it. Um, make sure you got it right. And then you move on. You know, at our levels that most of us work, you can't rely on, hey, what do they have on the scoreboard? Or, you know, what do they have in this one dugout or that dugout on their scorebook? That's just what it is. 
So I thought that was an interesting little um, article that they had in Referee Magazine. It made me think about uh, stuff with, uh, with indicators that we haven't really talked about, I think, at any time on this show. Uh, if you got any questions or comments about those or things that you like to do or stories, feel free to send me an email, um, get with me through the Facebook page, or leave a voice message. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So for what it's worth, I've got the final five questions from my MHSAA postseason exam for the umpires. It doesn't really matter now because there will be no postseason since the MHSAA had to cancel their entire spring season and uh, the rest of the winter season. But nonetheless, hey, I started this thing, so I'm going to finish it up because I like to finish with a start, right? And then in following weeks, I will try to come up with some other things that we can look at, some case plays or something or some other types of quiz questions and things like that. I've gotten feedback that people like those. So I will try to make sure I add some things in um, the best that I can. Anyway, we're doing questions 26 to 30 this week, all right? And number 26 reads, in the fifth inning, Smith enters as a courtesy runner for the catcher. In the sixth inning, Smith then enters the game as a courtesy runner for the pitcher. Uh, these are under the speed-up rules in your rule book. Is this A, this is permitted, or is it B, this is not allowed? So if your answer was B, this is not allowed, you are correct. All right, It has to be uh, different players. Uh, used for those different positions. All right. Next question, number 27. A courtesy runner may be used in place of the player slash DH if the player is a starting pitcher. This is rule 314. Is that true or false? That is false. As soon as you use that courtesy runner, actually it's not a courtesy runner, it'd be like a pinch runner, and he would be in the game. All right. And you would lose the player DH. We don't really have to worry about that too much this year since most of us aren't really doing any games, right? But next year we will, right? So we got a lot of time to study up for it. Number 28. If a batter bunts a ball and it hits him while he remains in the box, is he A, out, B, ball is foul, or C, the ball is fair and live and in play? This is rule 721F. If you said that it was B, the ball is foul, you are correct. Um, as long as he's got a sliver, a part of his foot on the line of one of his feet, uh, he's still in the in the box. Obviously, if he step on the plate, we got a different issue going on. But uh, as long as uh, some part of his one of his feet are in the box, he's good to go. It doesn't have to be all in the box. All right. So basically, it's very difficult for a guy to be called out for being out of the box. He's got to be completely out. It's got to hit him in fair territory. Then he's out, all right? Um, 
that doesn't happen happen too often. Every once in a while, but um, it's got to be a very obvious play for you to make that call. And when you do see it and you make that call, you um, I hope are one hundred percent sure. I mean, you you know you got it. You're gonna get a big time argument from people, but you're gonna know you got it right one hundred percent of the time. That is one of those calls that. Uh, when the game's done, you're kind of irritated because you know you nailed that call. <clears throat> However, um, people were arguing with you about it. Number 29, a dead ball appeal. This is rule 826C. A dead ball appeal is A, not allowed in any circumstance. B, can be made immediately when the ball becomes dead. Uh, C, can only be made by a coach or defensive player verbally after all runners have completed advancement around the bases, or D can only be made by a defensive player holding uh, the baseball. And um, so what do you got? If you said that it was uh, C uh, can be made immediately when the ball becomes dead, you are correct. That is, you know, the difference in high school. They try to make it... A lot easier to make appeal plays and not have to go through all the uh, putting the ball back and play and all kinds of stuff like that. All right. And then the final question. If the official scorekeeper informs the plate umpire that the player at bat is an illegal substitute, A, the umpire must wait until it is brought up by the defense. Uh, B, the umpire must wait until it is brought up by the offense. Or C, the umpire must enforce the penalty since he was informed of the infraction. And in Federation rules, the correct answer is C. You've got to enforce it if you're informed of it. All right. So that concludes the um, 30 questions for the MHSAA postseason exam. Um, if guys here in Michigan got 100%, awesome for you. It's not going to matter this year. All right, so do better next year. There'll be new questions. Hopefully it got you thinking a little bit. All right, so like I said, next uh, next week and then in following weeks, I'll come up with some other stuff to try to get your brain working as far as rules and applying them. So I'd like to talk a few minutes about a play that doesn't happen too often, but when it does, you got to get it right. And that's passing runners. All right. So if one runner passes another on the base paths, one of them is out. <laughs> okay. So um, the out is immediate. Um, it's just like think of it like a tag play. You know, it occurred right then, and the ball remains live in, in all the rule sets. Okay. But there are some other differences. So the aspect of the rule that gives some people difficulty is determining which guy is out, which runner is out, right? So the answer is pretty simple. It's always the following runner, kind of like when two guys are occupying the base, right? It doesn't matter if the trailing runner passes a preceding runner or the preceding runner retreats past the following runner, like who actually did kind of the passing. We're not judging that. A runner can only be declared out for passing an active runner, though. That's the thing you got to remember. So passing a retired runner, that's not an infraction. In addition to um, detecting the out with two outs, you got to be um, aware and be able to figure out if any runs score. Uh, 
So here's a little scenario. Bases loaded, two outs. Batter four hits a home run over the fence. As R1 is watching the ball, batter four passes him between first and second before R3 touches the plate. So the ruling is that batter four is out for passing R1. But in Federation rules, the other runners may continue to touch all the bases and score. Um, the base running infraction does not negate the award, even though it's the third out. All right. But in NCAA and pro rules and official baseball rules, um, it's a time play and no run score. So if R3 had touched the plate before the out occurred, his run would count. That You better be paying attention. But otherwise, more than likely, he's going to be out. So those are just a you know a little scenario there to think about next time you're on the baseball field. Um, in two man mechanics, um, we frequently will see um, the plate umpire have some opportunity to be able to make this call. I mean, any umpire can make it if they see it. But let's say there's a fly ball to right field with a guy on first and two man. Well, the plate umpire should be coming up into the uh, the grass area and be paying attention and observing everything and he can really see that's right in front of him and he can make that call whereas the the first base umpire or, or base umpires you know they have other responsibilities that might take their attention away from that but if you see it you should call it just like it's a tag play so some things to think about uh, next time you're on the baseball field be looking for passing runners This week's umpire spotlight is going to be the late Eric Cooper. Before I get to Mr. Cooper, uh, I'd like to mention something about some stuff I saw on the Facebook groups about who people think will be the next Hall of Fame umpire. And I've mentioned that a few times through my umpire spotlights. Um, I think there are two possibilities um, that are rise to the top of the list and it, it's very difficult to become a hall of fame umpire to get into the baseball hall of fame in cooperstown that's what i'm talking about there's only a handful of guys there are a, a good number of deserving guys that could be in there um, a lot of them aren't around anymore but the two that come to my mind are harry wendelstedt and unfortunately he's not around so he wouldn't be able to um, you know relish that that honor and uh, Joe West. And I, honestly, I think Joe West will probably be the next Hall of Fame umpire uh, whenever he retires, if we actually get to, you know, see baseball again sometime. Because, uh, you know, he's going to retire um, with the most games ever umpired in Major League history. He's obviously had quite a, uh, a checkered career. Um, and I think he deserves that. Uh, he's, you know, got a, a bit of a personality as well. That always helps a little bit. If you ask the common baseball fan to name some umpires, um, I'm sure he might be the, the one that gets named the most right now. Okay. You know, name some current major league umpires. I mean, obviously we know umpires cause we're all umpires, right? But, uh, the average fan, they don't know the thing about having people know your name as an umpire um, when you're not an umpire um, is that you're probably known for something maybe not so good. All right. There's, I can only really think of one guy, Doug Harvey, that was just known as a good umpire. Um, but other people, you know, like if you know Jim Joyce, 
you know, and you're an average fan, you know Jim Joyce because of his blown call, right? Um, and, and other umpires are like that too. Um, you end up kind of knowing them because of that. But uh, Joe West hasn't like had a big blown call or something, but you know, he, he definitely has his personality doing his music and all the other kind of stuff. He's outspoken about things. He's been fined or suspended a few times over the years because he kind of does his own thing. Um, so, you know, people know that and, and they, the average fan doesn't think he's a very good umpire, but if you, um, if you see what he does, you know, he, he is a heck of an umpire. I saw him umpiring, um, the other day I was watching game five of the 1986 National League Championship Series between the Houston Astros and the New York Mets. And, um, he was working the plate and he was working the scissors, uh, which he doesn't do anymore. Um, you know, he was leaner, meaner looking, you know, and obviously, uh, Doug Harvey was working second base in that game and, um, he was doing a heck of a job. I thought his zone was awesome. I mean, he's always had a great strike zone. Um, but you know, 1986, he was, you know, in his prime there. So interesting. If you get a chance to check that out, um, you should do that and see how he was working the scissors, which obviously most people don't uh, do too much anymore. Um, but anyway, let's get to this week's this week's subject, uh, Eric Cooper, who unfortunately um, died when he was 52 years old, you know, late last year um, in December, or no, in October, sorry, of uh, a heart attack. And um, Eric, um, he was a major league umpire for 21 years, and um, he had just uh, worked the postseason, the American League uh, Division Series between the Yankees and the Twins. And I don't know if he was going to get another assignment after that. It's possible. But um, obviously that was not to be. So um, Commissioner Manfred um, issued a statement. This is what his statement said after his untimely death. He said, This is a very sad day across Major League Baseball. Eric Cooper was a highly respected umpire, a hard worker on the field, and a popular member of our staff. He also served as a voice of the MLB Umpires Association on important issues in our game. Eric was a consistent presence in the postseason throughout his career, including this year's division series between the Yankees and the Twins. He was known for his professionalism and his enthusiasm, including for our international events. On behalf of Major League Baseball, I extend my deepest condolences to Eric's family, friends, and all his fellow Major League umpires. He will honor, we will honor Eric's memory during the World Series. Eric will be missed by the entire baseball family. So according to his biography, Eric Cooper was born in Des Moines, Iowa in um, December 1966. And he played baseball throughout high school and he graduated from Iowa State University in 1989 with a degree in business uh, and emphasis in transportation logistics. At one point in time, he was considering a career in international trade. However, um, he got a part-time job at Iowa State in the intramural athletics department. And obviously that changed his life because, you know, he got into officiating and umpiring. As he said, he got the bug and he paid the $2,200 to go to the Joe Brinkman umpiring school and ended up being one of the 20 selected to become a professional umpire. His first assignment was to work the Appalachian League in 1990 and the, uh, the Appy League 
um, he put it mildly, was um, a baptism by fire. Um, he mentioned one time that he, he was in Pulaski, and I had the plate, and it was hot, and I went in to take a shower after the game, and I noticed a brown stream of water hitting me in the chest, and I reached up to adjust the nozzle, and it came off in my hands. And then I got hit in the face with a harder streak of brown water, and I couldn't get out of that shower quick enough. So, you know, crazy minor league times, I'm sure. Cooper moved his way up through the minor leagues, of course, finally getting a chance to work in the majors on June 17, 1996. He was the third base ump um, as the Milwaukee Brewers beat the visiting Kansas City Royals 9-4. By 1999, Cooper was working in the major leagues as a full-time big league umpire. Some accomplishments, uh, he was the home plate umpire for three no-hitters which was um, top among all active umpires at the time. Uh, he called Hideo Nomo's no-hitter on April 6, 2001, Mark Burley's no-hitter on April 18, 2007, and also Burley's perfect game on July 23, 2009. Um, and another impressive thing, he worked Cal Ripken Jr.'s last Major League game on October 6, 2001. Um, and Eric Cooper was a fixture in the postseason for many years, including the 2014 World Series, the 2005 All-Star Game. He participated in several international events, uh, the 2009 and 2017 World Baseball Classic. Uh, and he was chosen to represent the um, Major League Baseball in the 2018 Japan All-Star Series. Um, and um, he was um, when he was selected to work the 2014 World Series, um, he was picked in part because of his, the consistent work he had um, in the instant replay era. Um, he had just missed, uh, for example, three calls at first base um, all season that were overturned, which was an extremely low number. Um, he got the call uh, from the, about the World Series from um, Joe Torre as he was driving his wife uh, to the movies. And he joked that he almost wrecked his car when he saw the area code and knew it was from Major League Baseball. Uh, he said, it's one of those two or three phone calls you're always going to remember in your career. Outside of the birth of a child, marriage, kids graduating, and those things, it's a humbling call. Professionally, I can't put it into words. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of surreal still. So he said one of the first calls he received was from fellow umpire in Iowan, Tim McClellan, um, who... Um, told him to soak it all up and enjoy it, and they said they pick you for a reason. And that's really the case for anything if you get some postseason. You know, they pick you for a reason, so act like you belong there because hopefully you, you really do, right? So that's my umpire spotlight for this week, um, the late Eric Cooper. Well, that's the end of another episode of the Hammer and Umpire podcast. Appreciate you guys sticking along and listening with me. Um, they have some new analytics that um, Anchor, that, who I do my podcast through, um, put out as far as like um, ages of, of the average ages of, of my listeners. And not surprisingly, the average age of my listener is between 35 and 59. I mean, I get uh, 55% of my listeners in, in those age ranges. Um, only 2% that are the 18 to 22-year-olds. we got to get those young guys out and umpiring in all of our communities, right? Um, 
2% between 23 and 27, uh, 12%, 28 to 34. So, man, we got to get those young guys. Um, I've got 20% the 60-plus guys, so that's good, too. Guys sticking with it and uh, continuing to umpire baseball games. Uh, we need the veterans out there as well, right? So I've noticed that my listenership, uh, the average number of listens I get per episode has gone down the last couple of weeks. This is not surprising to me um, with guys not being on the field. It's tough. Um, your kind of your passion uh, is put on hold a little bit. Um, your desire to maybe listen to a podcast or, I don't know, study in your rule books or um, do whatever you got to do as far as baseball-wise is down. And, um, you know, it, it's tough. It almost, like, makes you depressed because you think about it. I know, like, <laughs> I don't even want to look at my schedule or look at my Google Calendar and think, hey, where would I been today? That I'm not that uh, oh it's a nice day out it's 60 degrees here in Michigan and the sun's shining and oh I could have been working a doubleheader at this college oh guess I'm not doing that today um, so that's tough and, and I know that that kind of affects my podcast listenership not that I'm in this to make you know money or anything I don't make any money I just do this because I like to do it um, even my desire to continue to do it you know I, I've, I've consistently put out my podcast every week. But it's kind of tough sometimes because I got to think about how you know, things are not going so great right now. But, hey, man, we got to hang in there and um, things are going to turn around. And uh, when we when they do, we're going to really appreciate the things that we have. Hopefully we'll do a little bit less complaining sometimes, too. Right. So keep sticking in there and hopefully sometime soon you can keep calling strikes.